G'day and welcome to the Ball Boys Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Today we are talking about the recent Yahoo rankings adjustment. Let's go! G'day and welcome again to the Ball Boys Fantasy Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Casey, and you can find me on Twitter at Ball Boys NBA and on Instagram at Ball Boys Fantasy Basketball. Today, we are going to be doing a podcast discussing the Yahoo rankings adjustment. They've recently come out and changed a few of their rankings. Um, there's a whole lot of changes going on here, so uh, we're obviously not going to go through every single player and their rank change and things like that, but today I just wanted to touch on some of the biggest and most interesting changes Um if they if this is their final rankings before the start of the draft season, then I might do a, a sleepers and a bus uh, another video on that in particular. But today I'm just kind of focusing on the ones that really caught my eye, noticing that they were in a different spot to where they were last time. So um, I think they'll probably change again between now and the start of the season. We still have a month or, or just under a month before the season starts. So Yahoo will continue to tinker. And I think sometimes they even tinker into the start of the season. Um, so their, their picks look a little bit better than what they were before the season. So um, that's what we're doing today. If you are a BallBoysNBA.com subscriber, I will be doing a rankings shift and adjustment with a lot of the injury news that we've had the last sort of few hours. I've recently just got back from a camping trip where I was uh, out of uh, cell phone reception uh, and couldn't really do many of those adjustments. So perhaps by the time this video comes up, the rankings over at the ballboysnba.com uh, season guide has changed. Um, keep an eye out. There should be a points, a punt points guide coming out soon on the um, on the website as well. And um, there also should have been a Q&A podcast drop recently. So go and check that one out for all you subscribers out there. And if you haven't subscribed already, head over to ballboysnba.com, sign up for 10 bucks, and get yourself ready for all your fantasy drafts coming up this season. Uh, I promise you that it will be uh, money well spent. And, and obviously, uh, I think $10 is fairly reasonable to get all the sort of content that we are providing over there on the website. But let's get stuck into... The rankings update. We'll start, um, we'll group a few of these guys together, sort of at different parts of the draft. The first guy that caught my eye here was LeBron James, moving from the 12th ranked player to the 22nd ranked player. This one just could sort of thought was pretty interesting because I've always considered myself always a bit lower on LeBron than most other people. But, um, yeah, I think this is too late for LeBron James. Uh, I know Callum was saying that he still considers LeBron very close to, if not a first-round player. I sort of see him as an early, mid-second round. This ranking now pushes him outside of the top 20 towards the end of the, the, uh, the back end of the second round. And I think, I think we're getting, yeah, we're getting a bit silly here with a few guys ranked ahead of him. Uh, I just think this is a bit too late. He was, I feel like he was the third or fourth ranked player last year in nine category leagues, so including sort of turnovers and free throws and all those sort of things. Now, I expect him to fall back. He's obviously older, and you need to sort of take his games played with a bit of a, a grain of salt. But when a guy can put up first-round value, um, I don't think you... And, and he is healthy currently. 
I don't think you can slide him back that far. So at 22, I think it's a little bit too far back. And interesting, because LeBron is typically a guy that gets overhyped, overdrafted in um, in most situations, that he's sliding back to uh, number 22. So that one was a surprise to me for sure. So um, yeah, I think that's a bit too low for him. The other two in this sort of range that are obviously changes are the people mostly infect- affected by the Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland trade. So Donovan Mitchell going from rank 20 to rank 23 and Garland going from 19 to 28. So they've they've dropped Garland more than they have Mitchell. I actually still think this is a little bit too high for both of them, in my opinion. And I would actually have Garland ahead of Mitchell just because of the value of his assists. I think that Mitchell also has the risk of his steals dropping off where he posted career highs last year. I think it was about 1.4, 1.5 per game. Um, if that drops away, you're going to see a drop in his value a little bit. It's good that they've obviously adjusted them, but especially especially Donovan Mitchell at 23, I still think it's too early. I don't think he's a second-round player. I think he's definitely a third, if not like an early fourth. If you're punting field goals, it definitely helps, but I still think that especially Donovan Mitchell at 23, it's a bit too high for me. Um, I do think that you're going to see a drop in his points, his assists. Um, he's still probably going to be the number one guy and the number one scorer on this Cleveland team, but it's just the other guys around him are... are more high usage players in Garland, um, Mobley as a pair to a Gobert and a Mike Conley, for for example. I think that even though you're still that one guy, you're, you're going to have a smaller piece of the pie than you did over in Utah. And his game is very much predicated on that scoring usage, having the ball in his hands type value. So I think it's still a bit early for me, especially for Donovan Mitchell. Uh, moving on to the next group of guys, sort of in this 30s range, DeMar DeRozan going from 22 to 33. Good. I think he was, obviously, we had him in our bus video. Uh, 22, bit much too high for me. 33 is a little bit better. I still think maybe I'd go a little bit later than this, but it's not terrible, especially if you're punting either steals or threes. Sure, I can get that, get behind that a little bit. He's got a very unique skill set in terms of his boost to field goal percentage and free throw percentage, which is very difficult to find. In fact, he's maybe one of the only guys that boosts those two categories as much as he does. Maybe outside of like a Jokic or some of those really elite guys. Um, so I think that it's okay, build dependent. Um, I do worry about him falling off, but he was sort of around the 20th ranked guy last season. So if he does fall off, he can still, you know, finish at a top 40. So I think that's fine. It's it's pretty close to where I have him ranked. Uh, Miles Turner goes from 43 up to 34. I thought this one was interesting just because we'll talk about a few of the injured guys in, in a second, but especially with Robert Williams' injuries and, and um, not probably not going to be ready for the start of the season, those blocks are becoming increasingly hard to find. It's also looking um, increasingly less likely that we'll see Miles Turner traded before the start of the season. So I expect him to start the season. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of always expected this anyway. I think he's more of a trade deadline kind of a guy um, to start on the paces. I still maybe think that 34 is a bit high, but I understand it. If you need blocks and you want blocks, you're going to have to go for it. There's only a few guys. Um, you know, you've got um, Gobert. You've got Turner, you've got um, Mobley all around this kind of spot, Chris Stapps, Pazingas, and, um, you know, they've all got their risks. Uh, maybe Gobert, the least risky, but even he's in a new situation. But And, of course, you've got to take into account his free throw percentage drag. So the block category is um, becoming increasingly difficult to find, and I think that the the scarcity of that category really does help Turner's value. Um 
So he's very, very team dependent. If you don't need blocks, obviously he's going to be way, way less important to your team than where this ranking suggests. But if you do need blocks, you might need to reach up and get him. And um, yeah, it is a very interesting conundrum that fantasy uh, managers will be having to face when come draft day and and that block category. So I thought that was interesting. And then Terry Rozier, who was a, a nice sleeper for us, at at 55 in the previous rankings has been moved up to 39. So pretty much wiping away all of that value that I think he was there. I think this is pretty spot on to where he should be drafted. Um, He was a top 30 guy last year in nine category rankings. Obviously, he benefits a little bit from having low turnovers. So around pick 40, I think, is the perfect spot for him. So I don't think this is high. I think this is about exactly where you want to to get him or, or where he will produce. Maybe with a little bit of upside, depending on how much of usage increase he gets without Miles Bridges being on the court. Um, but I wouldn't really want to bank on that. So I think this is about where I would have him. So, yeah, I can't really consider him as much of a sleeper anymore. Although I still think that people might be prone to scrolling past him because he's just not a sexy name. The Hornets are a bit of a whatever franchise. There's there's not much going on there outside of the Bridges stuff. So, um yeah, you might see, even though his rank has increased, people might still be scrolling past his name. So we'll see where his ADP is and, and where he goes on drafts. Um, all right, into the next little group of people, instead of the, the late 40s, uh, 50s, Desmond Bain has come up from 57 to 49. I'm actually going the other way on Bain. I think I probably agree more with the 57 ranking. I'd have him in that late 50s, 60s kind of range. His ranking on a nine-category league is is probably going to be around this, but just the the reliance on threes, the reliance on efficiency, low turnovers, his value doesn't actually scream to me like a top 50 kind of guy. Um, he's similar to like a Michael Porter Jr., but maybe to a lesser extent the year that everyone was getting really excited about him because if his shooting comes down even just a little bit, it's going to really hurt his value, reducing his points, threes, and field goal percentage. Um You've also got uh, Dylan Brooks coming back into the mix who missed a big chunk of the season last year. Even though DeAnthony Melton is gone, um, Brooks is going to still be there and he's probably more of a usage soaking up uh, guy than than a DeAnthony Melton is. So maybe we're getting a little bit too excited about Bain. I think that, yeah, just what he brings to the table in terms of the threes, decent steals, they can be found later in the draft. So I'd rather still be trying to look for guys who can give me assists or blocks or lots of points or rebounds or something like that at this point in the draft. And, and Bain just doesn't really give me those in high, high quantities. So I just think that the value of what he does do is, is not as important to grab at this point in the draft. So a little bit too rich for my blood for him. Michael Porter Jr., speaking of the man just before, has gone from 66 to 53. It's too early for me. There's still the risks there. Obviously, he's had two back injuries in his short time in the NBA at the moment. Uh, I was I was not keen on him last year when everyone else was getting very excited. Um, I had him as a bit of a bus candidate. In fact, I had him as one of the biggest bus candidates. And not to say that I was expecting to play nine games and shoot like 29%, um, but his mid-50s in shooting I never thought was something you could realistically rely on. Um, if he does that again, now that Jamal Murray is there, sure, he could be around that 50 to 55 kind of a guy like he was the year before. But 
I just don't want to take him there with the risk of his injuries. You're getting no discount for his injury risk and his history there. Um, he's going to be a bit rusty coming off a year off. So to me, whilst he could finish here, I just don't think there's any value and there's a lot of downside at this point. So for me, it's a bit too high. Um, Next guy here is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Obviously, with the news, he has dislocated his shoulder. Um, they say they're going to reevaluate him in two weeks. So we don't... We haven't... It hasn't been confirmed he's going to miss any time in the regular season. Um, I'm slightly optimistic that it won't affect his season too much. Um, but obviously, we've seen Shea have a myriad of different injuries in his uh, early career. Now, some of you might say that that's just the OKC Thunder tanking and all those kind of things. I don't necessarily think so. He's... Um, uh, the plantar fasciitis injury, I think I remember from a couple of years ago, was one that kept him out of a few tournaments in the off season. Um, so nothing. I don't think he's had many shoulder or upper limb injuries. So this is not something chronic. I'm usually less concerned about upper body injuries. So I actually think that at 58, that's really good value. I'd probably be willing to take a, a stab inside the top 50, assuming that he is only going to miss maybe the first week of the regular season at worst. Um, similar to like a Chris Middleton, I'm kind of treating this way. And I think that Shea is, has a much higher upside than Chris Middleton. So um, when I've got someone like that in sort of my mid-40s, I think for Shea, you know, between that those late 30s, early 40s would be about where I'd be wanting to go with him. Uh, I know people were obviously down on him because of the, the tanking and the, the thunder and things like that. And I've always been a little bit higher on Shea than most people. Um, but for me, at 58, that's that's awesome value. Um, it's not a lower body injury. He can still keep up his conditioning. And, and um, yeah, so I still think that he's he can be a bit of value. And if you can get him at 58, then I think that's, that's a good gamble to go with, in my opinion. And then I just threw Tobias Harris in here. Again, we're not looking at the necessarily the biggest changes, but the ones that I just find the most interesting. The fact that he is still moving up rankings, going from rank 65 to 59, is just crazy to me. This guy is my biggest bust candidate of the entire season this year. So last year, it was Michael Porter Jr. This year, it's Tobias Harris, man. What are we doing pushing him up inside the top 60? He is outside the top 100 for me. He was really bad after James Harden came in. Now you've gone and signed De'Anthony, traded for De'Anthony Melton. You've signed PJ Tucker. He's up, He's older than 30 years old. He doesn't give me any steals, any blocks. The threes are low. Like, he just doesn't... He doesn't do anything exciting. He's not uh, in a head-to-head category league. You, you want those guys that are peaks and valleys, you know what I mean? That They're really good in a few categories, and he just doesn't have anything there. He's below average in basically everything he does, and there's just zero upside. So Tobias Harris just going to up in rankings um, is just it's hilarious to me. I, I just I can't see it. When you've got Shea at 58 and then Tobias Harris at 59, like there could be a 100 ranking spots difference between these guys come the end of the season. Um, I definitely know who I would rather be taking the punt on. Uh, even though one's injured and one is uh, healthy at the moment, there's just, to me, Tobias Harris, a uh, huge bus candidate. Uh, next little group of guys here in the 60, 60s. Again, interesting to see, obviously, Jalen Brunson, I thought was going to be a hot name going over to New York when you get someone going to a big market like the Knicks or the Lakers. Often their fantasy value or the spotlight is on them a little bit more and there's usually a bit of overhypedness about them. So from 72 coming now into 62, it started, it's getting too high for me now. I think that I was fine with him in the 70s. I think he's got a good field goal percentage and assists, but I don't think he's going to be this... I don't know if he clears 20 points per night. I see him more as like a 17 to 18 point a night guy, 
five or six assists. He doesn't shoot threes at a high volume. The, the defensive stats are not there. He's not a huge rebounder. So he's nice. He's good. He's solid. But I don't see super high upside with him. Um, yeah, and 62, I think there's just better guys around at that point, personally. He's safe. He's not necessarily a bust at this point, but I just don't know if he's... You know, I don't. I don't know if he's going to return this level of value, and I think there's some pretty lofty expectations for Brunson out there. Um, Josh Giddy was someone who was probably a bit too high for me at 54 before. He is coming back now to 64. It's getting close to where I'd be happy to draft him. I do know there's assists and rebounds are harder stats to get, and especially together, very rare. So I think this is actually a decent spot for Josh Giddy. Uh, Mid 60s to 70 is sort of. I think a good good area to target him, especially if you do need those categories. Um, I think it's a bit much to expect him to increase his steals, increase his efficiency, inc- um, decrease his turnovers, shoot more threes all in the one season. And he would need to do that to get inside the top 50, which is where he was kind of being ranked before um, this most recent uh, update. So I think we're getting closer on Josh Giddy, And um, yeah, so I think hopefully... I'll be able to get him in a few drafts now if, if people are starting to cool down because I do I do like the man. Obviously, he's a fellow Aussie. He's super young. I don't think he's he might have even just turned 20 or something like that. So um, I do like him, but I, I'm, I am glad to see that we are starting to just cool our jets a little bit on Giddy compared to where he was earlier in the preseason. And then the last one here in this little group here, Franz Wagner going the opposite way from 79 to 66. Obviously a bit of hype with him at the Euro basket that was going on recently. He was playing really well. 66 is starting to get a little bit high, a bit like Jalen Brunson. I kind of had those guys in a similar kind of area. So 79, I don't think it was too bad. Um, So maybe somewhere in the middle is about where I have him. Um, there is upside here with Franz. I think he could just be one of those guys that really figures it all out and, and ascends in a lot of different areas. So I probably don't mind his as much as Brunson's because I think obviously he's young. He's still got a lot of things that he can get better at and he does have that kind of higher ceiling upside. So, um, less fussed about that, but I still think at 66, it's just a little bit a little bit higher than I'd want to take him uh, personally. Again, especially in a head-to-head league when he's not excellent in one area. He's kind of one of those across-the-board contributors, um, a better version of a Tobias Harris, in my opinion, from a fantasy point of view. All right, into this next group of guys in the 70s, early 80s. Um, Al Horford, obviously, is a big beneficiary of one of the injury news that we've seen in terms of the Robert Williams trade. We'll get to him in a second. But Al Horford going from 105 to 75, so up 30 spots. It's bold. It's it's a decent change, one of the bigger ones on the list here. But I think it's... I understand it. I'm still concerned about when Robert Williams comes back, how cautious they are with him. He's super important to the Celtics when it comes to their playoffs, hopes, and, and their championship aspirations. So they're not going to take any risks with him Um but their, their front court depth is pretty it's pretty poor. Um, there's not a lot of guys backing them up with Al Horford out. You're going to have to see a lot of um, Grant Williams at the four, Al Horford at the five, which I think is better for his fantasy value. So I think on a per-game basis, that's fine for Al. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. It, he's a tough one for me because I know he can probably do this and maybe better on a per-game basis, but I am wary of him being rested and uh, maybe just a little bit of a decrease in minutes. Although now with this news, depending on how much it lingers throughout the season for for um, t- the Time Lord, 
it could um, they might not have the option of doing that now. So we'll see. I, I don't I don't re- I don't dislike it a whole lot. I think uh, at one hundred five he was he was really good value. Um, at seventy five, obviously the value is not there anymore. I don't know if it's too high, maybe slightly, but yeah, an interesting one that I um, my thoughts will maybe take a little bit more time to sort of see where I'm going to be uh, placing Al Horford. But if you want to check out, once my thoughts have started to settle down a little bit, the rankings over at ballboysnba.com will reflect where I sort of see Al Horford um, after the news of Robert Williams's injury. The other one here, uh, the next one at Paolo Banquero, he was at 60 before the update, moved back to 77. I think that's that's uh, perfect. I think that's exactly where we want to have him. At 60, it was too high. It was getting a bit too... You know, Paolo's exciting. He's the number one pick, and often the number one picks in drafts obviously get overhyped in fantasy circles. Um, he's got his deficiency. Um, the defensive stats aren't really there in high volumes. I don't think the threes are going to be there in high volumes, but points, rebounds, assists will be, will be good. The percentages will be probably below average for both. Turnovers might be high, so there is there is scope to think that he might not be the best fantasy option. But I think he's going to have minutes. He's going to have the ball going through his hands a lot. Um, so I think at that spot he's a fine draft pick, especially if you're punting one of those categories that he might be um, not the best in in Palo. And uh, this one is maybe one of the the biggest ones to talk about here. Robert Williams going from 36, which to me was already too low for him, to 78 now. He's had surgery on his uh, meniscus. Obviously, I think it was his right meniscus. Now, this was the knee that he was injured during the playoffs. It's the same one he had a, a surgery before the playoffs. I think it was in April. Uh, or was it late March? I can't quite remember. So he had um, a repair, not a removal. Um, so I think that means that the timeline is shorter, but it might not be the best in terms of long term which does concern me a little bit. I wonder why the Celtics are doing that. And obviously there's, there's the news with the Celtics head coach at the moment. And there's a few things up in the air with Robert Williams. What we do know about Robert Williams is he is a fantasy star. He was, um, I think, in 30 minutes a night last year. If I just go to have a look at my stats here. Hold on a second, guys. So Robert Williams in 29.6 minutes per night last year. In a nine-category ranking, he was the fifth-ranked player. Sorry, the 15th-ranked player last season. If you're punting punting points, he was the fifth-ranked player. So super, super valuable. Um, Obviously, you're going to get a lot of the value in blocks and field goal percentage, but he gives you decent assists from the center. The rebounds are really good. The steals are nice from your center, getting close to, or if not one per game. Um, the free throw percentage won't kill you. Obviously, low turnovers. Um, so low points and low threes, cool, that's fine. But the injury concern, obviously, it's legitimate. It's real. Now, I was okay to draft him in the second, late second, early third round because, obviously, the reporting from the Celtics was, okay, no, he just needed some rest because they had a deep playoff run. Um, they kind of rushed him back to get him there, so he just needed a bit more rest and time to ramp it up. Um Obviously, that didn't work. He was still experiencing symptoms, so they've gone for surgery, which is frustrating. It's frustrating they didn't do this sooner. So um, it's definitely a worry, but I think that the upside for Robert Williams, especially if you're in a punt points or a punt threes team, he he could legitimately return you top 10, top 5 value. Uh, so for me, at 70, what was it, what did I say, 78? It's too low for me. I think I think you you take him sooner. Um, 
I think that you take him closer to 60, mid to late 50s, I think, depending on your need and depending on your team. Again, we talk about blocks and the scarcity of blocks. Um, I trust a Celtics organization more than I trust a Memphis organization when I compare him to someone like Jaron Jackson Jr., who's also going to start the season injured, but again, for uh, a bit longer on their timeline, and he's also... Um, you know, we've had experiences with JJJ and, and the, the reporting on there from the Grizzlies. So when the Celtics say that timeline, I think they've extended it out now to, uh, what did they say? Was, is it six to, eight, six to eight weeks? I should actually have a look at that one. Um, one moment while I bring that up. I think they said, uh, I think initially it was four to six, but then the, the wording on that changed. Sorry, eight to 12 weeks. So it's a, it's a decently wide range of outcomes. So maybe we maybe we should go a bit more based on the 12-week mark. So if we're about four weeks away from the season, it means he's probably going to miss two months of the, of the season. So he's out for October. He's probably out for November. So maybe he's back mid-December would be, be my guess. So again, my thoughts of these are still evolving. So I'd, I'd be taking him before Jaron Jackson Jr. I do know that. Um... So at 78, you know what, actually, I'm talking myself back into, it's not horrible. It's, it's a really tough one, and my thoughts are going to continue to evolve on this one, um, depending on the wording and the stuff that we hear coming out over the preseason and that sort of stuff, and how easy they're going to take him when he is back. Um, it is curious that they initially did say four to six weeks, and now it's eight to 12. Yeah, it's, um, it's a tough one. So at 78... It's not the worst. It depends, I guess, on how many injury-prone or risky players you've taken in your draft up until that point. Um, but it's not the worst gamble, in my opinion. I'm obviously more nervous about him than I am with uh, Shea Gidges-Alexander that we talked about. So um, the the drop in his ranking compared to Shea being bigger, I, I agree with. I think that that's fine. But maybe, maybe there's still a little bit of value here at 78 when you can legitimately be a top 10 player in certain punt builds. It's pretty hard to find. So um, if you haven't had many risky players up to that point, I think he's a really good gamble and a really good swing to take at that point and just cross your fingers that he is good come your playoffs and you can do all right while he's not there. And, and also at this point, the replacement level player from a waiver wire pickup is not as bad um, compared to uh, someone a bit earlier as well. So... There's my thoughts on Robert Williams there, but again, visit ballboysnba.com and and when those adjustments are there, you'll see my full thoughts on where I think he should be going in drafts. Brandon Clark is moving up to pick 79. He was at 97 before. Starting to get a bit too high for me, guys. I think that I know he's going to be good whilst Jaron Jackson Jr. is out. Um, He should still beat 79, I think, whilst he's the unquestioned starter at power forward, but I just worry that when he does come back, that he's going to come back to the bench. I've been in the past saying that there's a chance that when JJJ comes back, that Clark stays in the starting lineup and Steven Adams goes to the bench. I think that's a legitimate possibility. I I think I've said before about 30%. I stand by that. I still think it's more likely than not that Clark goes back to the bench than, than Adam goes to the bench. But there's still a decent chance that Clark stays in the starting lineup. But so for me, I still want to be getting a discount on where I think he's going to be because I don't know if it's going to continue for the entire season. And at 79, you're starting to get close to thinking like that's not that much of a discount. Um, you know, he might be a top 70 guy uh, just in that starting lineup role. But so you're only really getting like a round of spots, uh, you know, half a round of spots value um, 
whilst he's the unquestioned starter, and then there could be maybe 40 to 50 spots of downside once JJ comes back. So for me, that's a bit too much, a um, bit too rich for my blood for Brennan Clark. So I think he's he's going to get pushed too high. And then Colin Sexton here in this group, going from 131 to 82, I think that's about right. I might have him a little bit further back just because his stat lines are pretty empty, but the scoring is going to be very, very hard to find. He's probably the best points-per-game scorer that you can find at this point in the draft. So at 82, I think that's fine. Obviously, that's their adjustment after the trade, which only took maybe two and a half weeks since the trade. So um, well done on that one, Yahoo. But at least, finally, they have made that adjustment. All right, here's where things start to get really wacky. So these last couple of groups of guys, Trey Jones has gone from 125 to 91. It's too high. Um, I know assists are hard to get. I know assists, uh, they dry up outside the top 100. I know Jones is supposed to be the starting um, point guard at, at San Antonio, and this could be fine. It could work out, but there also is a risk that it doesn't, and it's a wasted pick. I don't think it's egregious. I don't think it's horrible, but I would want to be taking him closer to pick 110. So at 125, I think there was a bit of value, and that was good. Uh, At 91, there's not a whole lot of value there. He's not a great shooter. Um, I don't think he's going to score in bunches or anything like that. He'll get you some decent assists, and the steals will be decent. The field goal percentage will be okay, I think, Um, although he hasn't played a huge role like this before, so that's uncertain. The turnovers might be whatever. no blocks, the rebounds will be whatever. So I think he's fine, but the Spurs are such in a a spot of just trying and experimenting that I don't even 100% know that they're going to stick with Trey Jones as the starting point guard for the entire season Um, or or past the first three months of the season. There's been whispers about Primo playing a lot of point guard. So we don't even know that he's going to be the starting point guard opening night. I assume he will be, but it's not locked in. So... I think there's just a few other better options available at the draft in that point for me. De'Anthony Melton is another one. Again, I am a big De'Anthony Melton fan. You've heard me say that a lot of positive things about Melton in the past, but he's gone from 141 to 92. I don't want anything to do with De'Anthony Melton at 92. He's a good guy to take once your starters have sorted out and you're now picking for bench spots and you want a bit of upside. He's a good permanent producer, but he's still going to be coming off the bench in Philadelphia. He's not going to get 30 minutes a night, I don't believe. And, um, yeah, I just don't think you, you would expect that when you're drafting someone at 92 um, for them to be getting close to their 30 minutes a, a night to, to warrant that kind of a pick. I just don't really understand why we're moving him up 50 spots to, to 92 before when he was he was good value as a sleeper at that last pick, but now, now it's just too rich, too rich for my blood. Another weird one. Um, Alice Caruso, I mean, I guess this is because of the Lonzo Ball news, but Lonzo Ball was injured a lot last season. Um, so, and Caruso, he started the year hot with all those steals and decent assists, but he doesn't do a whole lot else. So I think at 100, I, I, I don't even know where he was ranked before this because he wasn't in my, um, he wasn't ranked on the ballboysnba.com um, uh, preseason draft guide. So I, I wasn't really tracking his, um, ranking on Yahoo all that closely. He was close to making it, but I think he was pretty much outside the top 150 into 100. It's it's far too high for me. And um, yeah, I just don't think you, you want to get those specialist kind of guys anywhere near the top 100 because yeah, he doesn't provide much else and he does have a lot of deficiencies in his game. And um, 
Yeah, I think I think that yeah, he just won't have the usage and other stats to to make him worth that pick. Julius Randle, interestingly, has gone from sixty seven to one hundred three. He previously was a bit of a bust candidate to me, but at one hundred three now, there's some value. I think he's definitely more somewhere towards the middle of those rankings, especially if you're punting field goal percentage um, in a points league. He's way more valuable than that, so it's a great steal if you're drafting over on Yahoo in a points league. Um, so Julius Randle at one hundred three, I actually think there's value. Like he's still going to put up. 29 and four and a half or, or something like that. So I think that that still has value. He, sh- he should still hit a couple of threes. The percentages are awful. The steals and blocks are non-existent. The turnovers are high. Yes. So there's a reason he's not um, the second or third round player that he was getting drafted at last year. But uh, at 103, I think we've gone too far the other way. So I think there's some good value in Julius Randle there. Now, Lowry Markkinen, after the trade, he was at, sorry, before the trade, and before their rankings adjustment, he was at 122. They put him up to 108, but I still think there's way more value here for Larry Markin. I was surprised to see that they've only moved him up, what's that, 14 spots. Uh, I think that he, he was a top 70 guy last year in a role, I think he was less than 27 minutes a night. Um, let me just double check that one real quick. Uh, sorry, no, no, he played 31 minutes a night and um, was the 70th ranked player in a nine category ranking, um, playing predominantly as a small, sorry, as a small forward. Obviously, I think he goes back to power forward, which I think helps boost his rebounds a little bit. He's not going to be going to be playing next to Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley. Now he's next to Walker Kessler and uh, Vanderbilt. Um, so I think even though Vanderbilt's a good rebound, I still think that he will get a boost to his rebounds a little bit there. He looked really good in Eurobasket, um, so. Not that that's a huge indicator, but it's at least a positive thing. So at 108, I still think there's a really there's a bunch of value there. So especially if you're punting blocks or punting assists, he is definitely someone that can be super valuable um, as a as a guy to get you those points, threes, and rebounds and decent percentages, especially the free throw percentage. And then the last guy on this list, weirdly enough, um, Tyus Jones moving to 122. I don't really think that many people are drafting Tyus Jones, although I've seen him go in a couple of mocks. I don't know if that's people getting him confused with Trey Jones, but Yahoo boosting up to 122. What's changed with Tyus Jones? He's a backup point guard. Why, why are we bothering drafting him? He's, I, just, I don't quite get it. I thought that was quite funny that he's at 122. He's moving up the rankings when a lot of these other guys are, are going back behind him. Um, and in this next group, this, is, this just gets real wacky. So keep in mind that Tyus Jones is ranked ahead of these next six groups of players because that just makes... Absolutely no sense to me at all. So um, let's look at this next group of guys. Jabari Smith has gone from 96 to 137. Jalen Smith from 89 to 142. Jaron Jackson Jr., 83 to 147. Lonzo Ball, 91 to 150. Isaiah Jackson, 85 to 152. And Isaiah Suggs was already at 155, and they've still moved him back to 172. So this group of guys... There is tremendous value in all six of them. Um, In particular, the first two players, I think there is just so much value. Jabari Smith Jr., I was already saying, was a huge sleeper at 96, and they've moved him back 40 spots. What are we thinking here? Like, do you think he's coming off the bench? Like, that has to be the, the, the only rationale behind this ranking, because... He was the third pick in the draft. His fantasy translations are awesome. He's a great three-point shooter. He gets steals. He gets blocks. He can rebound. Um, he's not going to turn the ball over because the ball's going to be in Kevin Porter Jr.'s and Jalen Green's hands, Shengun's hands. They're going to be distributing. Um, so all he has to do is play defense and hit threes, get rebounds. 
and he can have an awesome fantasy game. Um, this is the biggest steal, the biggest sleeper in the draft at the moment. If you're going off these rankings, and people will, people will be married to these rankings if you're drafting on Yahoo. Um, Jabari Smith Jr. to me is the biggest sleeper in fantasy basketball right now. Um, I'm a huge fan of his, and maybe maybe I'm too high on him, but at 137, if it doesn't work out, you just drop him. Like, this guy has legitimate top 50 upside. Um, maybe that's a long shot to get there. I don't think it's a long shot to get there if you're punting field goal percentage. His field goal percentage will be bad, but if you punt that category... He is just so good at a lot of other areas that, um, yeah, I just, I can't, I'm, I'm really confident with, with how his stats translate. I'm confident in his minutes and his role. So Jabari Smith Jr. to me is just enormous value at 137. Jalen Smith at 142 is also crazy. Um, look, I know maybe he's not guaranteed 31 minutes a night, but he was putting up awesome value in limited minutes last year. So if I just pull up his stats from last season, once he got to Indiana and he was playing more minutes, where where do I have him? Let's have a look. Jalen, Jalen Smith. Where are you, Jalen Smith? Okay. Yeah, so in limited minutes, once he got to... Once he got to Indiana, here we go, I've got it here. In 25 minutes a night, he was the 87th ranked player, okay? So you had him before at 89. So all you're doing at that rank is expect him to do exactly what he did last year, which I think is absolutely achievable. He has upside to do more than that this year. He's another year in the system. He's another year older. He's been stated already to be the starting power forward. He could get closer to 28, 29 minutes a night, and... um. The blocks, which we were saying before, are harder to find. So late in the draft, super valuable. That just doesn't make any sense to me why he is going back to 142, um, especially when you also, um, I mentioned earlier, Isaiah Jackson has gone down to 152. So what do you think is going to be happening in Indiana? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so Jalen Smith, amazing value. 89 might even be have been too low. He had upside to be a top 70 guy. Um, I think he's a, he's a big breakout candidate. Um, someone who I feel really confident in as long as he is getting the starting power forward uh, role there in Indiana. And I don't see as any reason as to why he wouldn't because they don't really have many other power forwards on that roster. And um, maybe it's the fact that now Miles, maybe Yahoo before was thinking Miles Turner was going to get traded. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I don't quite understand it. I don't quite understand it now. Um, so yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Lonzo Ball both getting further bumps down the board. I think where they had him before were both probably a bit too high, but now I think it's far too low. So there's no reason to me why if you haven't got all your starters picked, as soon as you're starting to pick for bench players, Jaron Jackson Jr., Lonzo Ball, both have top 50 upside. You take a swing on them, you put them on your IR spot, and then you can grab a guy off the waiver wire who still might return top 120 upside. I think it's totally fine outside of pick 110 to take either of those guys Maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. even sooner than that because um, I'm probably less concerned with his injury than I am with Lonzo's. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's just tremendous value. And I, I would be shocked to see if them go that late in drafts because there's, yeah, they're just guys with top 50 upside you can't get at this point. So stick them on your, your IR, grab some guy off the waiver wire as soon as the league finishes its draft and, and then... It's not as big of a gap. So for me, they're, they're too low. Isaiah Jackson. Now, this guy has been all over the shop. Um, I think he was around this spot before. 
He moved all the way up to 85, which I was like, whoa, hold on, guys. Let's pump the brakes on this. I know he's a hype guy. I know we all get excited about him, but it's too high for me. But now he's going to 150. Insane. It's awesome, awesome, awesome value. I've said this before. I said this on our breakout um, podcast. He has legitimate top 40 upside. Now, he will beat this ranking at 152. He will beat this ranking as a bench player. It is absolutely absurd how good a fantasy player this guy is. So even if nothing changes, he will beat this ranking because of his blocks, his field goal percentage, his steals. Um, he's caused decent points in limited minutes as well. So last year, in the second half of the season, he played 18 minutes a night and he was the 126th ranked player. Um, so already you've got 26 spots of value. In 21 minutes a night, he was the 98th ranked player. So top 100 value in 21 minutes a night. Now, I know that you're relying on blocks and things like that, and sometimes that can be a bit hit or miss, but it is just insane to me the amount of fluctuation his value has taken on Yahoo because, um, I mean, I know he's a tricky guy. Obviously, he's he's in a, in a fluctuating role, and it, I have to think that it's Yahoo was thinking that he was out of there, and now they're like, oh, damn, he's still on the roster. I thought he'd be traded by now, but that has to be the only explanation, but... Even in a, in a bench role, he's going to be better than this. So I think he's an excellent player. As soon as he gets past 110, I'm happy to take take him. As soon as you fill up your starting roster spot, happy to take a flyer on Isaiah Jackson. He's one of my favorite targets at that spot. And it kind of felt like I was being the anti-Isaiah Jackson guy before when the ranking was at 85. But I actually really like him. I've, like I've said before, I've got a lots of stock in him in Dynasty Drafts. So he's an awesome target once you fill that starting roster spot and you're looking for upside like we said before about this injured guard, there's not many guys with top 50 upside. Bang, Isaiah Jackson, he is one of those guys and he's not injured right now, so he can give you some value. So I would be happy to take him maybe ahead of some of those other injured guys as well and just, you know, stick him in your bench and, and on low-volume streaming days, he can give you some blocks and field goal percentage and give you some value. And then if there's a trade happens, which I expect Turner to be traded... Again, there's no guarantee that the center won't come back, but if he does get traded, it could win you your league. It is enormous, enormous upside. So um, no question that he is more valuable than that. And then Jalen Suggs. I, I'm a believer in Jalen Suggs this year. I would, cl- I would take him, again, similar kind of spot to Isaiah Jackson if you're looking for those assists and steals. Um, field goal percentage will still suck, okay? There's no question about that. He's not going to give you super high volume in threes. That's fine. So be aware of his um, deficiencies, but I think that we're going to say see a better season from Jalen Suggs this year. With Paolo coming over, the pressure is off him a little bit. Um, he's going into year two. Young guards, we often see them taking a little bit of time. Um, he was a good defender last year, so I still think he's going to get really good minutes, close to 30 a game in my opinion, um, and the fact that he's now outside the Yahoo saying, don't bother drafting him in a, in a 12-team standard league. Uh, I think that's crazy. I'd be very happy to take a swing on him. Again, once you start looking at your bench players, he's got he's got some good upside in my opinion. So, yeah, just those last group of players, wacky. I think there's so much value now, so many sleepers in drafts. I probably will do another sleepers, bus, and late round flies video the closer we get to the season. But just wanted to have a look at some of the guys that really caught my eye. Let me know what you guys think. Comment down below if you're listening here on YouTube. Uh, make sure you guys are subscribed. Um, hit the notification bell. There's going to be so much content coming out between now and the start of the season. Head over to ballboysmba.com. Subscribe for your season guide for 10 bucks, And I'll see you guys next time. Laters. Laters.